Praise God. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to begin reading this evening. I'm going to read 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 5, 1 through 12. Praise God. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he, when he was set, his disciples, somebody say his disciples. Say his disciples were important. His disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, check this out, these next few verses. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they, listen to verse 10, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We'll go back to verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. Somebody say revile you. Revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great. Somebody say great. Great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they, the prophets, which were before you. Praise God. For the next little while, I am going to try my best to be methodical and stay close to my notes. I'm going to talk about the gospel of the kingdom the gospel of the kingdom. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. We thank you for your anointing. Lord, anoint our ears to hear, anoint this voice to speak, anoint, Lord, this vessel to be a conduit, Lord, to deliver what you desire me to deliver for us to get the message that you desire us to get, to, Lord, us to be furthered in our relationship with you. Every person that's in the building, Lord, every saint of God, every guest, in Jesus' name, Lord, let us hear your word tonight. Let our spirits and our minds be open to what you're speaking into our lives, O oh Lord, that we may understand, we may get some comprehension of what you're wanting us to learn in this place tonight. In Jesus' name, we honor you. We will give you praise and honor with our life. In Jesus' name, and the church says amen. 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 Turn around and shake someone's hand. Tell them you're glad to see them at Truth Church tonight. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. You may be seated. If you are a guest in the house tonight, thank you for being with us. I don't see many guests in the house, but everybody else, give yourself a hand for being in the house of the Lord tonight. We are going to begin 
begin tonight a series in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. And our focus has to be on the group as a whole in the wider context of Jesus' ministry, the Beatitudes. We have the answer. We have, we have to answer, rather, the questions. If you want to write this down, you can. What are these Beatitudes? Number one, what are these Beatitudes? Do they spell out conditions we must meet in order to inherit eternal life? Do they spell out conditions we must meet in order to inherit eternal life? And three, do they celebrate the power of God in the life of the disciples? Could it be both? How do we know? Praise God. The gospel of the kingdom. Somebody say the gospel of the kingdom. What we want to do tonight is we want to try our best. If you've ever seen a camera before, uh, depends on what camera it is. We have some cameras back there that have uh, full-frame sensors, and they have wide-angle lenses, and then they have the ones that get really close and all that good stuff. But what we're going to try to do for the next little while is we're going to try to open up the lens widely to the Beatitudes, and then we're going to narrow down uh, to those Beatitudes a little bit. But I want you to grab your Bibles. If you don't have them already, grab your Bibles. Matthew 4 and verse 23. Matthew 4 and verse 23. It is a summary statement of Jesus' earthly ministry. And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in, this, in their synagogues and preaching. Somebody say teaching and preaching. Teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And healing all manner of sickness. Somebody say healing. Healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. One way to restate that verse would be to say that Jesus made it his ministry to preach the coming of the kingdom to teach the way of the kingdom, and to demonstrate the purpose and power of the kingdom by healing the sick. Preaching, teaching, and healing is what he was doing. Amen? I don't know about you, but I'm not Jesus, but I want to preach, I want to teach, and I want God to do some healing every time we come together. Now, Matthew 9, Matthew 9. I told you we're going to use your Bibles this evening. Matthew 9, verse 35. It is almost, almost a verbatim, verbatim when we find that same summary. And Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Then, then we look to see what is sandwiched between these two summaries, these descriptions of Jesus' ministry. And what we see are two major sections, chapter 5, chapter 7. They're a collection of Jesus' teachings, chapter 5 through 7, are collections of Jesus' teachings called the Sermon on the Mount. And chapter 8 and 9 
are the collection of stories, mainly about his healing ministry. Stay with me. Stay with me. So what it, what it appears we have is five chapters, a five-chapter unit designed by Matthew to present us first with some typical teaching of the Lord concerning the way of the kingdom, and the second with the same typical healings and miracles to demonstrate the power of the kingdom. The value, this is the value. You're writing things down. The value of seeing this is that it warns us against treating any little piece of this section in isolation. Matthew is the writer. He's the writer, and he is putting his material together in a particular way. He is the inspired apostle, and we should care about how he chose to put things together. This is the way he gets his meaning across to us. For example, one thing we can say right off, right off, is that you can't have Jesus of the Sermon on the Mount without Jesus cleansing the leper. Amen? He's going to preach, or he's going to teach, rather, and then he's also going to heal. He's going to heal the centurion servant. He's going to, he's going to take care of that situation. And he's going to reach out his hand, and he's going to steal the storm. He's going to stop the storm and cast out demons. The rider who gives us the one gives us the other. And it's arbitrary. It's arbitrary to do what some modern individuals, studiers of the Bible do. They namely say that they admire the ethical teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, but they don't want to get involved in that crazy, spooky stuff, supernatural stuff, amen? That stuff that people that have cancers on their neck, they fall off on the floor. They don't want to do that. But I'm going to tell you what Pastor Darren wants to do. I want to have the teaching. Amen. I want the five-fold ministry. I want the preaching. I want those that come in and begin to call things that are not as though they were. I want everything that Jesus Christ has to offer right here at Truth Church. So if anybody is wondering, if anybody has ever thought about that, I, Pastor Darren, I, I don't got it all. I, I have a hard time doing what I'm doing right now, but I want teaching. I want preaching. I want the miraculous. I want demons to be cast out. Amen. I want to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Every area, I want it to be available and in work right here at Truth Church. If you want that too, would you clap your hands under the Lord? Some, they have the opposite temptation. And you've seen this. I've seen this. And it don't work. That is the reason that I have the stance that I want both. Okay? The opposite temptation may overcome others. They may have a charismatic fascination with miracles of Jesus. But when it comes to, listen to me, I want you to hear me. When it comes to the reckoning 
with the one who said, don't call your brother a fool. Don't lust. Don't get divorced. Don't swear. You hear that? Hey Amen. That was a, a mice whispering to somebody. Don't return evil for evil. Love your enemy. Amen. They like the miracles. They like counting all the people that receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But when this radical intruder comes in and starts telling us the A, B, C, and D of how we should live our personal lives, there's people that don't want to hear that. Ladies and gentlemen, we can't have the miraculous only and we can't have the teaching only. We got to have them both. Amen? Praise God. Matthew's point is that the Lord who teaches like this in the Sermon on the Mount is the same Lord who calls to follow Him through life and depend upon His power. I'm thankful for every apostolic move of God that we have where everybody jumps and shouts and the preacher says boo and everybody gets excited. But when the preacher comes and says, hey, don't talk about your brother or your sister. We may not shout about that, but I want both topics to be declared and preached. Amen? His personal work and power are inseparable from his teaching. In fact, we will see right away, this is clear even in the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, if you have your Bibles. I'm going to try to go through these a little bit. Matthew chapter 5, I want us to look at verses 1 and verse 2. I encourage you, get your pen out. And seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, First of all, the audience is probably two circles, if you will. The inner circle, that would be the disciples. That would be the people that followed him, people that were close to him. And then there was an outer circle, the crowd. Somebody say the crowd. It says in verse 1 that he taught his disciples. But I want us to look, Matthew chapter 7. Flip over to Matthew chapter 7. This is, we find it at the very end of the sermon. Matthew chapter 7 verse 28. Listen to what it said. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people, somebody say the people. The people were astonished at his doctrine. Note, all other primary translations of the Bible say the crowds were astonished. Only the King James Version says the word people. I looked in uh, my Hebrew, Greek, and English 
Bible that I have, big hard Bible. In my Bible today, it says people. But it's clear, it's clear that the crowds were listening to what Jesus wanted to say and what he was saying. His primary address, however, was to the people that were close to him, to his disciples. And I want to mention here at Truth Church, it doesn't matter. I know we call, I say it's evangelistic, but when I'm preaching a lot of times, if you'll go back and listen on YouTube or listen to recordings, I am preaching to the congregation. I am preaching to the, the close congregation, if you will, those that are close to me, just like Jesus was teaching to the disciples. But there was a second circle, if you will. And that second circle was listening just like it happens right here at Truth Church. My hope and prayer is that I can preach something that will inspire, preach something that will cause conviction, preach something. You've heard me say it many of times. I try to preach to cause us to think, maybe I need to do this or maybe I need to change this. Maybe I need to open myself up for God to do this in me. Yes, I'm preaching to, preaching to the choir, if you will. But our hope is just like it happened in this particular situation, this Sermon on the Mount, there were those skeptical people, those, those searchers, if you will, those doubters that were on the, on the fringes. They heard the Sermon on the Mount. And the Bible says that Jesus had ended these sayings. The people were astonished at his doctrine. That is the hope every time we come to Truth Church. Whether it's a Wednesday night, whether it's a Monday night, whether it's a special service or Sunday morning, it doesn't matter when it is. Our hope is, yes, I'm preaching to everybody in the building, but I hope there's some skeptics. I hope there's some doubters. I hope there's some people on the fringes that will hear the word of the Lord. And just like the disciples heard on the mount and the people on the fringes heard on the mount, hopefully that will happen right here. And somebody can come to an altar. Somebody can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Somebody can say, man, I need to change as well. I need to be astonished by this word. This word astonishes me. We believe that the spirit anointed, authoritative preaching of the word of God has a particular power that awakens unbelievers to the truth and beauty of Jesus Christ. Even when it is addressed to the primary disciples, the people that play instruments, the people that open the doors, the people that are here day in and day out or week in and week out. It is precisely the thing. It doesn't matter who it's addressed to. It's precisely the thing that our Lord has to say to us and to anybody else that is around listening. I believe that. Anybody else believe that tonight? I believe that word, whatever it is, there's a word that is being spoken that will awaken the desires of others. The individual that doesn't know very much about truth. The individual, it's that anointed word, that authoritative word of God that, yes, I'm preaching to the choir, but that anointed authoritative word will find some fallow ground. It will find the heart of somebody that's pliable and wants to change. Amen? That's why you hear me, it, it may feel odd to some, but I may not even be preaching about baptism, but I'll say things like, if you want to be baptized in Jesus' name and your sins to be ever washed forever, washed away, we got water, what doth hinder you? The reason I do that is because there's somebody, that man, I'm preaching something totally different, but that, author, that anointed authoritative word 
is getting deep inside the heart somehow. You've seen it. Maybe you even did it yourself. You didn't even really know what was preaching, but, man, you started ha having tears run down your face the very time, first time you walked into the house of God. Amen. Amen. You've seen that happen before. I've experienced that happening before. I've seen people that they didn't, if you asked them, do you know what he was preaching about? They had no idea what he was preaching about, but all they knew is they had to get up and get as fast as they could to an altar, and they had never even been to an altar call. Why? Because the anointed, authoritative word was getting deep into the heart. Amen? That's because God is speaking, and that's what he did. That's what he did that day as he was delivering that word. There were some people on the fringes that heard, heard, and they were pricked in their hearts. They were astonished. The sermon... The sermon begins with the disciples gathered at the feet of Jesus and with the crowd listening in. How will the Lord begin? He begins, he begins by pronouncing a certain kind of person fortune. He calls these pronouncements beatitudes for the Latin word, from the Latin word happiness and blessings. We'll see what they are here. There are eight. There are eight. If you have your Bible, chapter 5. There are eight Beatitudes worded in the same way. Verse 11. Verse 11, if you have a pen, paper, if you want to write it down. Some of you Bible studiers, you know this already. But verse 11 could be viewed as a ninth one. But it is really an expansion of of verse 10 and it is worded differently from the others it says this follow along with me if you have it blessed blessed are ye when men revile you none of the others say blessed are ye it's probably an expansion of verse 10 which says blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. The reviling in verse 11 is a specific instance of the persecution in verse 10. You can see that the eight Beatitudes, verses 3 through 10, are a unit when you look at the first and the eighth. Notice the promise. Very awesome here. I want you to listen to it. Notice the promise of the first Beatitude in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Look at that again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And notice the promise of verse 8, of the 8 beatitude in verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Both of them have the identical promise for theirs is the kingdom of heaven but the other six beatitudes sandwiched between these two are all different i will read from verse 4 9 for they shall be comforted for they shall inherit the earth for they shall be filled for they shall obtain mercy for they shall see god for they shall be called the children of God. Future promises, Sister Sayward. Future promises sandwiched by present assurance. Notice 
that all these promises for the future, they shall be comforted. They shall be comforted. They shall inherit the earth. They shall be filled. And so on and so on. But the promise of the first and last beatitude in verses 3 and 10 seem to relate to the present. The disciples are assured that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That gets me excited whether it does you or not. That's pretty awesome. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's the meaning of this pattern? I think, I think there are two implications. First, first, by sandwiching six promises in between two assurances that such people have the kingdom of heaven, I think Jesus means to tell us that these six promises are blessings of the kingdom. Just stay with me. In other words, these six things are what you can count on when you are part of God's kingdom. This is what the kingdom brings. Comfort, ownership, oh, praise God, mercy, satisfied righteousness, a vision of God, the awesome title of child of God. You don't have to pick and choose among these promises. They all belong to the kingdom. That is the first implication that I see in the fact that Jesus brings with this assurance. There is the kingdom, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it ends with the assurance. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. With those six promises sandwiched in between. The other implication, the other implication, if you want to write this down, you can. The other implication of the pattern comes from the fact that the first and last assurance are present tense. And the six in the middle are future. Theirs is in verses 3 and 10. But shall be, and so on, verses 4 through 9. Jesus is saying that there are some present benefits with the disciples now. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But that the full blessing of the kingdom will have to wait for the age to come. They shall inherit the earth. Another way to put it is that Jesus has brought the kingdom of heaven to earth in his own kingly power and fellowship. And we can enjoy a foretaste of it here and now. But the full experience of the life of the kingdom will have to wait for the age to come. You can see exactly what this means right here in the Beatitudes. Let's take several examples. If you have your Bibles, several examples. Verses 4 says that those who mourn will one day be comforted. As in Revelation chapter 21, media, you'll help me. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4 says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Praise God. 
But look at verse 11 and verse 12. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. In other words, even though the final reward of comfort is kept for us in heaven, we can now rejoice. Man, I feel God's presence right now. We can now rejoice even in the midst of suffering. And it's not this joy, and this and is not this joy a foretaste of the promised comfort. There is no joy without some element of comfort. Praise God. We're going to be hated for his name's sake, but we can rejoice anyhow. Right here and right now. I want us to go to verse 7. Verse 7. It promises they shall obtain mercy. But in the parable of the unforgiven servant in Matthew 18, verse 23 through 35, the king says to the wicked servant, Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pitied on thee? I had pity on thee. In other words, Jesus teaches that we do not merely wait for the age to come to receive mercy. Aren't you thankful for that? It has come in Jesus. We taste all of that. We taste his mercy here and now in his forgiveness of sins, his innumerable blessings upon our life. We can have it right now in 2022. Lord Terry's. We can have it in 2023, amen? I'm thankful. I'm thankful that it is not just something that it's a pie in the sky, if you will, as Bishop used to say for years. It's something that you and I can have right now. We can obtain that mercy today. Praise God. Verse 9. Verse 9. It promises they shall be called. I'm hurrying. I'm doing good. They shall be called children of God. Romans 8 verse 23 says, even, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. So full benefit of being children of God await the resurrection but look at verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Praise God. He's already our Father. We are already His children. That is, we have a foretaste of sonship right now. We don't got to wait for later. Amen? The point of these three examples is that the kingdom of heaven is both present and future. We have foretastes of the reign of God now. 
but we will experience fully in the future. Praise God. Hallelujah. Is anybody ready for that day? I think this is why verses 3 and 4, I'm sorry, 3 and 10 assure us that. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But verses 4 and 9 promise the king, kingdom blessings are still in the future. It's both. It's both. Aren't you thankful? We're going to get what we get right now, and we're going to get something when we get there. Praise God. Praise the Lord. I got a lot more, and I'm not going to finish it all. Y'all stay with me about five more minutes. Is that all right? And this is the one of the most important things you can learn about living an apostolic Christian life or in the faith. Without this insight, the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount simply cannot be understood. For example, for example, what will you make of verse 7 without the insight that the kingdom blessings of God's mercy are both present and future. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Does this mean that God withholds his mercy until the future day of the reckoning and waits to see if we will be merciful enough to earn his mercy? That is what it looks like it says. But, if you know the gospel of the kingdom, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. That is, if you know the good news that the kingdom has already come and is now at work <laughs> like a detergent, gathering in people for the kingdom. Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 through 50. If you know that the power of the kingdom is already present, as well as future, then you will know that our becoming merciful is right now. A work of God's kingly mercy. That is the point of Matthew chapter 18 and verse 33. The king, the king said, And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? God's premier mercy enables us to be merciful. I'm thankful that when we gain that mercy, we get that mercy, it lets us know that I can give mercy as well. The powerful mercy of the kingdom has already come in Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Ghost. Anybody thankful for the Holy Ghost? Yeah. Praise God. Seeing the Beatitudes for what they are. Unless you see the Beatitudes as part of this biblical fabric, you will not be able to understand them for what they are. They are an announcement. Somebody say an announcement. An announcement of how fortunate people are who already possess, as it were, the power of the kingdom. You might say, you're blessed. I might say, I'm blessed. A fortunate individual, a fortunate person that has the blessings of 
the kingdom, the power at work with inside of us. For you will inherit the kingdom, the Bible says. I will inherit the kingdom with all its infinite pleasure forever and ever. The Beatitudes are an announcement that people like this are very blessed and very fortunate. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to be a recipient. I want to be an individual that has the blessings of God on his life. I want to be an individual that's been shown mercy, and I can show mercy as well. Would you stand to your feet? Praise God. Somebody say the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. For you and me, if we are going to act, if we're going to be in the middle of what the Beatitudes are and what they're for for our lives, then we must gain understanding about them. I don't claim to have all the understanding. Everything I gave you tonight, I regurgitated from commentaries and from talking to people about it. But ladies and gentlemen, we better gain an understanding about this because I, want, I don't want to just be blessed. I don't want to just have mercy. I want to show mercy, and I want others to know that they can be blessed and they can have mercy right here, right now, but also one day. Amen? I want to gain the blessings. I want to gain the help. I want to gain the mercy of Jesus Christ. So we thank you for your word tonight. Lord, I pray that tonight we gain some bit of knowledge, some understanding. Lord, I pray that we would continue to gain knowledge and understanding of your word, Lord, over the next few weeks. Help me somehow, some way to deliver to the men and women of God that are in this room. Lord, your word, your taught word, it helps us understand what we should be in this last and closing hour. And Lord, what we should look forward to in that day of reckoning. Lord, I honor you and I thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your power that you show to each and every one of us that are in this place. Let us continually, O oh Lord, fight the good fight of faith. Let us continually, O oh Lord, study to show ourselves approved. Let us continually, O oh Lord, gain from your word day in and day out that we may be the disciples that you desire us to be. That there may be those in our workspace, in our work, workplace, Lord, that will be on the fringes that can hear the word of the Lord. In the name of Jesus, we honor you, we thank you, and we give you all the glory that is due to your name. In Jesus' name.